This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. 2024 is going to be a big year in politics, especially south of the border. There's going to be a presidential election in November, and then let's set the stage with Michelle McQuig. Michelle is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. And good morning, Michelle. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dave. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, Hope ha- you all had a great vacation. <laughs> Michelle, you're going to be one of the last people who gets to say Happy New Year on the show because after tomorrow, I'm, mor- yeah, I'm going to no, moratorium is- it. I'm, I'm, I have the same. I always have a January 4th cutoff for like personal <laughs> Happy New Year readings. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to allow it till tomorrow. I'm going to allow it till tomorrow, one week of broadcast. And then as of next week, if somebody wishes me Happy New Year, I'm not even saying it back. I'm it's just going yeah, to no. blow right past them on the air and seem like a very rude jerk. Yeah, smooth, yeah, slick, but yeah, you, yeah. you do you. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe my inner Ottawa will come out and I will just be uberly polite. Uh, Michelle, <laughs> let's uh, talk politics here. I think this is a very interesting presidential election year. I, th- I think just the notion of how the primaries for the Republican Party are going to play out. There's been a little bit of a surge and change in polling here going into the new year with uh, Nikki Haley at least presenting some challenge to the hypothesis that Donald Trump is going to run away with the Republican primary in the presidential election. So I'm going to be watching that certainly on the front end of the year quite clearly closely. What do you find interesting heading into this presidential election year? That That is interesting that you're like, I, I don't really see much of a viable challenge for Donald Trump. I do. I am operating on the premise that he is the, the Republican nominee going in here. So, you know, forgive me if this is a little inside baseball, perhaps, but what I'm really interested to see is the difference in the coverage between now and 2016 when he was in the race last time. Right, right. Or even, or even, or even 2020, right? Like we're now in the post-January 6th era. There's been a lot more there. Um, there was a lot of media talk at the time about people being willing to call Donald Trump out on when he was either just being inaccurate in the, in the course of things or outright lying. Um a lot of these conversations have happened and and there's been a certain amount of reckoning within the industry on this, but it'll be really interesting to see now that the pretty much the exact same scenario is up again. Is it going to change? Is he going to have an easier ride on the campaign trail? He's had a very easy one so far, and that's not really the media's fault necessarily. The, the, the challenges haven't really materialized that people suspected, but I'll be interested to see not only how it's covered, but if people have the same appetite for for. The, the brand of politics that he brings to the table. Yeah, M- Michelle, I, I've spent the last three years, and, and this is one of the stunning things when you really consider it, that this Saturday is going to mark the three-year anniversary of the domestic terrorism attack on the I U.S. Know, Capitol. Right? I, I cannot believe it's been three years. I, I don't know where time went. And I spent the three years between then and now thinking about how I want to cover Donald Trump. Because he was a U.S. president, and he's likely going to be a presidential nominee, and he has a very good chance of winning the election this year. So I've, yeah, spent, I've spent three years trying to figure out, in 2024, when this machine ramps up in earnest, and I have some obligation as the host of a news and current affairs show to talk about Donald Trump, 
how I'm going to do that. And I sit here on January the 4th of 2024, and I'm not all the way convinced that I figured out a strategy yet in terms of separating <laughs> drama and optics versus substance. Yeah, I think I think you're, the the conversations you're having internally are a microcosm of much, much bigger ones happening across all newsrooms in the United States, because that's a huge aspect. Of course, now there's also going to be the misinformation thread it was was quite prominent in 2020, but it's going to be much bigger now, given the social media landscape and where it stands. Uh you're, you're going to have foreign interference threads too. Remember those started surfacing even in, in 2016. Um, so there, yeah. there definitely is yeah. going to be a lot of substance to uh, on the table, but also a lot of things that could complicate the narrative, which is already populated by complicated people. So it's not going to be an easy task yeah. for, for anybody. Let alone how you navigate and handle what are going to be nearly 100 indictments that are going to play yep. out in some way, shape, or form during the course of the next six to nine months. How you maybe. Ha in some cases, maybe. You also, yep. ha you also have um, the Colorado Supreme Court that said, we're not allowing Donald Trump on the Republican primary ballot. Now, that, yep. now, now Donald Trump is, has asked the, the federal, the, it, the federal yeah. Supreme Court to try and overrule that as Supreme Court that he stacked during his presidency. So it, 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 so there's just all these threads, Michelle, that are going to make it almost impossible not to get sucked into some of the drama. So, so just know, anytime this Donald Trump comes up this year, I'm saying this to you and to you, the devoted viewer out there, I'm going to do my best to figure out how to actually cover this in a meaningful way, whether it comes up in the news panel or just day-to-day -day coverage. It's, it's not going to be an easy one. No, it's not going to be an easy one. Uh, you talked about Colorado. I think it was was it Michigan also that, that banned his name on the ballot. There's another state that's done it too. So yeah, th th that's a whole complicated backdrop for all this too. Is is the, the legal wrangling that's going on there? The various efforts that are going to be made. To, he's he's got so many legal balls in the air. Like that yeah. that could be a news outlet with the right right resources could easily dedicate one reporter just to his legal situation and another to the political side of yeah. the next nine yeah. months because it's, it really is that complex. Um, and it remains to be seen what kind of actual repercussions it will have on the on the thing itself. But it's yeah, no, there's there's it's very daunting. There's a lot coming down, and and I feel like it's landing at a time when people are just so weary of a lot of this. People right. are politics is exhausting and has been for a long time, especially in the United States. Like, and, and we're saying this is a Canadian outlet. We do we do not have like let us be clear. The brunt of this is not going to fall on that's correct. the Canadian that's media, correct, right? Yeah. So I. I you know, thoughts, but, warm, warm thoughts to my American yeah. media compatriots is all I've got right now. Yeah, honestly, but, it's going to be, it's going to be quite a ride. But, but, but it, but it obviously it's, it certainly matters, right? Like I'll, I'll paraphrase, oh, well, Pierre, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase Pierre Elliott Trudeau. When a mouse and an elephant share a bed, the mouse has to be acutely aware of every move the elephant makes. And that is largely the North American experience, especially when you think about uh, free trade and isolationism and maybe some blocks that are forming internationally in terms of where allyship lies. It's, it, it's a very wow. complicated geopolitical picture. And, and Michelle, I'll, I'll say this too, because I do want to offer some balance here. There is a deep dissatisfaction with the current president, Joe Biden, as well. Um, some, of it, some, some of it fair and some of it unfair, but nonetheless, there is deep dissatisfaction. So it's not as if there's something 
uber-inspiring on the other side of the binary that is American politics. So, so that that becomes one of the complications in the way this is going to be talked about is going to be talked about as well, because there's going to be a real journey here for the American Democratic Party, which admittedly has done quite well in some midterm elections and did really well in an off-year election last year. But the yeah, actual character of Joe Biden, the individual of Joe Biden, is one that is not inspiring a ton of confidence. People seem to be more no. confident in the general idea of the Democratic Party rather than the person who leads it, which also sort of, which, which is, is almost like a mirror of the Donald Trump on the Republican side, that it's people who are devoted to their party, but not super excited about their leaders. You're totally right. Um, and when you said earlier that Donald Trump will almost certainly be a nominee and potentially another a second term president, that is true. And that is exactly why there is some of Joe Biden's polling numbers are some of the worst I've ever seen. Um, it, I think it's raised some questions about what he wants to do. Does he stick with Kamala Harris as VP? Does he change running mates? Um, there are going to be questions around Donald Trump's potential running mate. I'm not sure how much that actually matters, but it's another thread to watch as, as people yeah. try to juggle and, and correct these misconceptions. Is that one or not misconceptions, but correct the try to take control of their own party narratives. I wonder if, if running mates are going to be one tool through which they try to do that and try to counter some of the personal unpopularity both candidates are facing. Michelle, we just did nine minutes on the American election, so let's uh, go north of the border here to talk very quickly about the federal governments in Canada and their climate goals. I just played a clip in the first uh, segment of the show from Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne about a real need to push for more renewable energy projects in the country, but the rubber is really going to hit the road with climate goals this year. What's on your radar when it comes to climate really goals? It really is, yeah. We saw the regulations. All most of last year, we were waiting for regulations on what climate emission, you know, emission reduction targets were going to look like. They've landed now. Um, the push is on, and and the other one that's really striking me is related to what you said with Champagne. We saw a ton of announcements roll out last year about you know funding for EV battery factories, critical mineral harvesting, efforts to build up infrastructure to support the push to electric vehicles while with the goal of getting rid of gas-powered vehicles. I think it's about 2035. Correct me if I got that Th date that, wrong. That's their that's target. I believe it is. Yeah, that's their target. Yeah. So we saw those announcements really start to, to ramp up in earnest last year. Now we're going to have to see it acted upon. 11 years is not a big time frame for projects of this scope to, to take root for a wholesale shift of this kind to be executed. So I'll be really interested to see if that momentum continues. Certainly this government has it on its agenda and wants to, um, but there's a lot that needs to happen. Uh, and that's going one where I'm going to be watching with great interest because that's a huge commitment and those infrastructure, if it's not in place, that goal will not happen. Michelle, let's do a little bit of optimism on the way out the door here. The Professional Women's Hockey League, the PWHL, 2020, mm -hmm. 2024 has already seen a spotlight on women's sports. The league made its debut. It was on awesome. It yeah. was so cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> give me a second, Michelle. Let me set this up for the people. Let me set this up for the people. Hold on. Hold on. Continue. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah. It was awesome. Let, okay. let, let me mansplain before you do your enthusiasm here. Uh, <laughs> The league made its debut on New Year's Day. They have sponsors, a media deal, and they're moving tickets. They did over 8,000 tickets for the Montreal-Ottawa game on a Tuesday night, which was just amazing. So, Michelle, a few days after the inaugural game and that sellout in Ottawa, what's your perception of the significance of the league? I think it's really... 
this is the first league that I've seen that's really, really taken off. I know there have been past attempts to, to introduce women's hockey on a more permanent basis than just the Olympics. But this one seems to really, really have the wind at its back. The player, the, the, the caliber of playing is amazing. It's so cool to see every, even like female media commentators. I just think this is a real breath of fresh air on the Canadian sports scene. And it builds, I think, on some of the momentum laid by our women's soccer team. Like mm-hmm. the, the women's soccer is Canada. It's huge as well. And I think Canadian female soccer players and, and hockey players are really leading the charge in equalizing women's sport in this country. And I think it's extremely cool to watch. It was awesome to see sold out crowds on on Monday's game for Toronto versus New York. Super cool to see a Canadian be the first woman to score a goal in this new league. Like it, it's just it's just a cool story and it it is a really nice kind of counterweight to all the other negativity that Yeah. It, it's actually it's to me it's a great continuity of something that began to well it's been emerging for years but really showed itself at the Women's Soccer World Cup last year where mm, a bunch with all the pay equity issues and everything. Pay yes. equity issues were brought to the table as were development models where European yep. teams are starting to take it very seriously to use professional women's soccer and professional clubs like the Barcelonas of the world, the Liverpools of the world, the Real Madrids of the world funding their women's soccer teams and doing those development models in the American model uh, the universities name image and likeness policies players being able to make money while they're playing at their universities have been huge the Iowa Louisiana State University women's college basketball final last year drew over 11 million viewers, which outviewed wow. most NBA games in American television ratings. So it's not simply wow. a virtue signal, signal in here, Michelle. There's a real appetite to not just support women's sports, but start putting money in the athletes' pockets. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately the next stop in this destination. It's to start offering career opportunities for women in sports, not simply a feel-good story till you're 23 and then go do something else. Totally true. And I think it's actually going to work because if we're seeing the, if, if the funding is provided, the appetite is so clearly there. These numbers you were citing, what we've seen with the PWHL so far, people want to see viable women's athletics. And I think that uh, I, th- I think it's having its moment in the sun. And I think until things get really complicated and things expand and uh, these leagues get subject to the more Byzantine goings back and forth that we see in, in, in a lot of men's sports that we talked about on the panel sometimes. I think this is a really positive moment yeah. for, for this whole movement. It's, it's just, it's, it's exciting. And a big shout out. to. And Bel- I say this even as a non, non huge sports fan, like, <laughs> this is just a cool, it's just a cool societal breakthrough. I, I really feel it that way. Except it is an Olympic year, which means for a few weeks, Michelle will be a sports fan. That's, that's how, that's how this goes. Michelle, Michelle does get down. You know as, me so well. <laughs> uh, the you, Olympics are my secret shame. It's true. <laughs> uh, and Hey, I, I do want to give one shout out on the way out the door here. A big shout out to Bell Media and TSN for cutting a media deal with the PHWL and platforming the games in a big way like that like that's a huge part of this you've got to make the sport accessible to people and Bell Media and TSN stepped up in a huge way so big shout out to them as well absolutely there we go hey Michelle this is a nice double dose this week you set the table today news panel tomorrow have an excellent 24 hours you too talk tomorrow that's everybody that's Michelle McQuig weekend news editor at the Canadian press coming up after the break it's all about the world of disability and politics. Megan Gilmore looks ahead to some of the biggest disability stories in 2024. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.